0: reese james out until february chelsea's disaster year and mauricio pochettino's transfer demands hello there guys what is going on daniel child back here again for another edition of let's talk chelsea breaking down the latest news around stanford bridge i hope you're doing well and this has been a decent start to your week even though, of course sunday's game and the news we're going to be speaking about today Obviously, is isn't that uplifting, but we have to face the music, have to face reality. And it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea respond this weekend against Sheffield United. Obviously, the game we're going to build up to at the weekend on the show this Week. If you are new around here, please do give the show a like on YouTube really does help out also helps out it's free to do hit that subscribe button and turn those notifications on so you don't miss any of the uploads. If you're listening on the podcast feed, thank you so much for tuning in as well. Where do we start with today's show and the negativity? Do we start with Rhys James? Do we start with the insider stuff regarding Chelsea's disastrous year or Mauricio Pochettino's transfer demands? I think obviously all three of those feel very relevant. We're going to start off with Rhys James because it does feel like a, a repetitive thing, Groundhog Day. I was told a stat this morning around... The fact that Rhys James hasn't been able to play five successive Premier League games since May of 2022 which just reflects how poor his injury record has been and I I want to point this out right here so the news is Chelsea released a statement Rhys James has suffered a hamstring injury the initial assessment is that it could be as bad as February or March for a return date which obviously means he misses all of the festive period which we're technically in now but really going into that period over the next week and you know we may not see him till at the very worst spring the start of spring which is tragic for reese really bad for pochettino really bad for chelsea and i want to stress this because i did release a clip from my review of the game on sunday where we spoke about reese james injury problems and i want to make this you know abundantly clear i of course have sympathy for reese james i of course Can only imagine how frustrating and mentally challenging it is for him to come back from these injury setbacks when you've been given the captain's armband, when he clearly must know himself, but I'm sure everyone else knows how talented he is. The potential of this player is astronomical, really. So me talking about the reality of Rhys James' injury problems, what it means for Chelsea, how do we categorise Rhys James as a player, what do Chelsea do to react to it, what does it mean for Rhys James in the short and long term? I think that's a relevant topic. We speak about relevant Chelsea stories on this show. I'm not going to shy away from that. And I'm not going to shy away from the evidence and the facts around Reese James' injury record. But just because we talk about those things does not mean I'm trying to be disrespectful to Reese. I'm trying to throw jabs or anything towards him. I, I just want to make that abundantly clear. I- I'm sure a lot of you understand that. But, you know, when I'm releasing clips, say, of the show online, some people maybe misconstrue it as me you know, trying to be snide or something towards Reese James, which is so far from the truth. It's a it's a sad situation. It really is. But there is a reality regarding Reese James. And the reality is this is a guy who consistently breaks down. And I will say what I said on Sunday's show. For me, it has to be the case that surgery will probably because again, it's another hamstring injury, which is something he's been struggling with, particularly over the past year. And again, if surgery is the solution, even if it means that he doesn't return again this season, if it means touch wood that he then can be a fit and firing player for Chelsea and he can play more than five games in a row for Chelsea we all want that right because then that means that we can rely on Rhys James we're currently in a situation similar to what we were with Ingolo Kante where he's so fragile and you it becomes a almost protective state for him as a player and he's not an old player and then he's missing games where Chelsea kind of need Rhys James on the pitch so then you can't really refer to him as a vital player and it's not the case of me saying he needs to be stripped of the captaincy that's not my point my point over questioning giving him the captaincy was usually when we think of a captain it's someone you want nine times out of ten to be available for you at least in football that's just kind of a known thing you want a durable player and unfortunately Reese James isn't that that doesn't mean as a character I think he was never appropriate for. I have questioned his discipline as I have questioned the discipline of other players in recent weeks. But again, I don't think that's unreasonable given what we've seen from Chelsea players over the past few weeks. But I really do hope Reese can recover from this. I hope that he can recover, doesn't need surgery, and he comes back in March and he's fine for the rest of the season. And then he can go into next season feeling even better. Uh, But I, I just hope that if it is biting the bullet and that means that this season for him is over but then in two years time he looks back and we all look back and say sure we lost him for that short period of time but now we've got a Rhys James that is looking the best he ever is for Chelsea and he's one of our key players on a regular basis surely that's what we all want for Rhys James right and I'm sure that's what he wants for his career. So moving on to the second story now it's regarding this Matt Law piece and it's regarding this Chelsea's disaster year prompting a transfer policy dilemma. So Matt Law reporting here, the club has taken a largely, uh, as we know, youth first approach over the transfer market this year but it is believed they will need to change course again and rip up their wage structure to land a top-class striker in the January 2024 window despite spending more than 750 million pounds during the calendar year Chelsea's defeat at Everton meant they are currently statistically the worst team in the Premier League with less than three weeks of 2023 and this is kind of broken down that if you look at the clubs who have spent the entirety of the year in the top flight, Chelsea had the worst points per game ratio, having won just 39 points from 39 games. Crystal Palace and Forest also have 39 points in 2023, but both have played a game fewer. Insiders have described 2023, the first full year of the Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital ownership, as being a disaster. And cannot wait for it to end. where it may not be obvious to supporters, and is not being held up as any sort of triumph, there is an internal belief that progress away from the pitch has been made following a, se- a series, sorry, of behind the scenes appointments. The numbers, know yeah, facts don't care about your feelings. The, the numbers, and we spoke about this actually pre-Everton, how bad it is. There, there's no trying to walk around it, right? There's no trying to just ignore those those stats. Those stats are embarrassing. They are. If we look at where Chelsea have been over the past 20 years, what Chelsea have been spending, the expectation of us as fans, and in comparison to some other clubs. Now, it is fair to point out that what other club just in the Premier League, but if we just look at the top six, seven clubs in this country, any of the major European clubs, what club has had this overhaul since 2022? None of them. I was amazed. Someone's been replaying a clip of our 3-2 win over Leeds in December of 2021, so two years ago. Two years later, only two players from that squad remain. That's Reese James and Tiago Silva. So the overhaul has been dramatic. And there is a lot of... Qu- questions i think valid questions of that overhaul whether that overhaul needed to take place as rapidly and drastically as it has to rip out a lot of the infrastructure and knowledge that was there previously did it need to happen as drastically as it did now that could be linked back to the ffp charges that chelsea could be facing based on the abramovich era were chelsea's new ownership looking to disconnect because of that that's just speculation but then you look at that and you look at where Chelsea are and, and especially the change in in squad overhaul to expect everything to just snap into place quite in quite a, a quick fashion was obviously going to be unrealistic. I feel a wider point for me is, and I made this point actually regarding the transfer strategy back in July when I was in Australia. I want to play this clip for you now not to try and go, oh, look how smart I am, because I, I try and be as positive as I can be, but it was around the transfer strategy and why, for me at the time and right now, it's a little bit strange the approach the club is taking. People have made this right in terms of, like, say, an True Many who Chelsea failed to buy when they should have for, like, 35 to 40 million in 2020 or 2021. And then once you don't do that, their price goes out of, you know, it's not that it goes out of kind of where you pay it, because Chelsea clearly can pay over 100 million for certain players, but... They, they bump up to a ridiculous level quite quickly and the logic is when you're buying some of these players you are hoping that you are buying them at a reasonable fee and in a few years time they are of that kind of 100 million bracket level that's the dream right but it's weird to me because when we talk about that for certain clubs we are talking about a brian in recent years we talked about it for a leicester um when you look at monaco when you look at Uh, Borussia Dortmund at a much higher level. Sure, at times can compete for major honours, but are not seen as like the elite elite or the dominant clubs, like always top of the food chain. And it's weird to me that you're having this kind of balance of Chelsea going in that kind of direction, looking to sign young players for a smaller fee with the hope of them developing into greater players. But then Chelsea wouldn't want it to go to the second part where you're then losing those players, as they head into their prime years to someone else, to someone who would be deemed higher up the food chain. I think that's the the interesting kind of, maybe friction here because I'm pretty sure the new ownership wants to see Chelsea at the top of the food chain. They want to see Chelsea winning Premier League titles, winning Champions League titles, feeling like one of the, the big English clubs, which I think we are, but it's just, it's interesting to see how that dynamic is gonna work because usually that strategy, is what you'd call smaller clubs or clubs with with less resources have to go by to to compete right and to, and to make ends meet at the end of the day and, and chelsea are seen as a slightly different i think the biggest i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is and not as job. simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened so, up so many you know, more doors the show is called the, the deal. deal listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify this issue is kind of the changing culture that the new ownership has tried to put in or at least the perceived changing culture this is just my perspective you may completely disagree But given this kind of approach of trying to buy players who then in the future will get better, it's almost like Chelsea, the Clear Lake era, the Bowley era, again, I I can't say, I don't think this is intentional, but to try and shift the expectation and the perception of Chelsea in football, especially amongst fans who have watched us over the past 20 years, to expect that everyone can just go back mentally to a pre-2003-4 age is very unrealistic. Chelsea fans have been conditioned to watch us win trophies pretty much every season. We've been conditioned to be near the top three, four in the league we've been conditioned to watch brilliant players, we've been conditioned to watch a consistent flow of coaches, but not any lack of success within that time. To try and take all of that psychologically and culturally within the club and just almost do like a final snap and think that you know everything can just revert back to an age where Chelsea fans don't expect that, it's very difficult. Chelsea are near the top of the food chain. And even though in kind of a gallows humor way, they may be trying this current ownership to derail that, there is still that reality. And I've said this before, as I did in that clip back in July, that Chelsea are not Brighton. They're not Borussia Dortmund. They're not Sevilla. They're not uh, Monaco. They're not Leicester. They are not a club, at least at the current point and, and in recent history, that can operate or at least present themselves as... Kind of the up-and-coming club because that's not where we are in football and that's not why players sign for us that's not how financially we're able to compete with the biggest clubs so i do think that's a tricky balancing act i do think where we are currently is a little bit similar to say where arsenal were a few years ago and people don't like this kind of comparison of going arsenal haven't won anything or you know because arsenal rivals that not really the point it's where arsenal were say in 2020 21 when arteta had them close to the relegation zone so even a bit worse than where we are currently in that season and where they are right now is obviously i think there are some comparisons there and structurally there are major questions of the ownership there were major questions about the current head coach there were major questions over the strategy of that club whether they could ever compete at the top level again It took a lot of gritting of teeth. I think part of that was helped by the lockdown and not having fans inside a stadium, which is, I'm not going to say a luxury because not having fans inside a stadium was an awful period. But the current ownership obviously are going to be facing that at Chelsea on a regular basis at Stamford Bridge and in the away ground. And I think that's going to be the difficulty sticking by this in the long term and whether they actually have the Capacity to do that, but then if insiders kind of are saying how much of a disaster it's been and also changing tack, I spoke about this recently of kind of panicking in the January Transfer window. That in itself is maybe going to be more informative. And this is a piece from the mail now talking about Pochettino, how small issues are weighing heavily on him, and boss thinks a lack of height makes Chelsea prone to aerial attack, but FFP fears mean they can't throw money at the problem with free players wanted, obviously. Post-Everton, there were talks about, and Pochettino pretty much explicitly said, he feels that the January window is key, trying to recruit new players. This piece does talk about the the lack of height that Chelsea have being physically bossed. Um, but one source says about Pochettino, he doesn't demand, he recommends... So in terms of what Chelsea are going to be looking at in the January window, it isn't maybe just about a striker, it's about other areas too. Given how much Chelsea just spent in other areas, that in itself is a question in terms of how much involvement Pochettino actually had over the previous transfer window, which in itself is a concern. But what, the worst part of this piece for me, undeniably, and why I've kind of flagged it today, it's why Chelsea apparently in terms of FFP, are refusing to internally rule out the prospect of selling selling Colin Gallagher, who Pochettino rates amid ongoing uncertainty over his contractual situation. Those internally, if any of them are suggesting seriously that we should sell our best player so far this season, should be let go or should be just not listened to at all. It's an absolute nonsense to think we should be selling Colin Gallagher. Again, one of the few rare bright spot so far this season in terms of once again proving that Cobham provides such consistent output and quality something that I think the club is forgetting quite quickly and it does concern me for the long term just absolutely nonsensical and I'm not going to take any of this spin suddenly that it's Conor Gallagher's fault and Conor Gallagher doesn't want to be here anymore and he's trying to push himself at the club I saw that narrative over the summer I'm not buying it here and anyone who does buy it and wants to turn on Connor maybe you wanted to turn on Connor in the first place anyway but for me it would be an absolute nonsense if Connor Gallagher is sold in January and would really put a nail in the coffin I think for a lot of people but then also I think really signal how Cobham is being devalued. I think that's just abundantly clear. So it'd be an absolute nonsense if Chelsea sell Conor Gallagher. But then the idea of just spending more and more and more and more. You know, Chelsea have become a club that's chasing its tail. I do also want to bring this up. Reverting back to 2022, pre when the sanctions hit not everything was perfect. I think there are a lot of ongoing problems that I discussed at the time. I'm not going to you know, say, oh, you know, all those things I felt back then were wrong. I think there were problems. It's just the problems have got worse. They've become bigger. They've become wider. They've become different problems. But I think just reverting back to that time as if it was kind of this rosy, happy, perfect world, I think is also simplistic. Chelsea have had problems that they've needed to solve for a long time. Now, it's quite clear that those solutions that the new ownership has brought in aren't fixing that, at least for the time being. But I am interested to say, when you look at, and this is kind of, again, people will reactively want either Mauricio Pochettino to be sacked because we've done it in the past and it's worked, even though it hasn't worked over the past year. They'll want to sign another player, another big player, because just spend money and that will solve the problem. Even though over the past year, Chelsea spent a lot of money, nearly a billion, just in this calendar year, and it hasn't made a blind bit of difference. You may sign Osman or Tony, who breaks our wage structure. FFP issue there, but the wider and more severe question for me that has to be posted: if those players once again come in and fall victim to the same problems, don't impact the team, don't replicate what they've done elsewhere. Again, you have to ask the question, and I want people to ask this question um, of themselves and then just look at the situation and analyze it. Why is it that over the past five, six years we have seen so many players come in and out of that door at Chelsea, who? have failed clearly have problems have thrived before have left have thrived after why is that the case because it can't just be those players are crap we just were unlucky i think that's simplistic it then always comes back to me of strategically why are from a culture point of view from an environment point of view from our planning point of view whether that player is the wrong profile whether we didn't integrate him in the best way whether we didn't think about how we were going to utilize that player when we brought him into the squad with the current head coach Whatever it is, all those things are relevant and they aren't just going to be sold by splashing more money because that's just going to lead us chasing our tail even further. I want that money to be spent smartly. I want it to be spent in a way where the coach, the recruitment team, there is a clarity and a, a consistency throughout all levels of the club. Are we spending money? And I'm not just saying this because of, you know, Victor Rossman or Ivan Tony, I'm not, you know, just referring to them. I've, I've made this argument a long time now. If we can... Internally, look at our academy and promote from within, rather than spending forty to fifty million. Trevor Chalaba, Connor Gallagher, Armando Breuer, Levi Colwell, and that saves us money. That's always a smarter option because then you don't clog clog up the first team. I think those those first team, um, or sorry, those academy players have proven to be valuable finds. If they aren't good enough, maybe you move them on, or they just are squad players. So again, these are wider problems, but uh, I, I think that it is relevant to to not just instinctively react because of the, the bad situation we find ourselves in and just assume that sacking the head coach, spending, 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 when that doesn't work, you spend more and more and more until we go bust, basically, is going to solve all of our problems. Why hasn't it solved it already? If it was as simple as spending that money on certain players we would already be thriving again wider problems structural overhaul giving that time but then also the club I think currently looking at why it hasn't worked what can we do to fix this project whatever it is that it does end up in a successful place for Chelsea whether that is only you know you know one two three years down the line that's these are big fundamental questions and I'm not I'm not someone who is going to be able to provide those answers, but I'm also not someone that's going to sit here and tell you it's a simple fix. It's a simple answer because it just simply isn't. And I, I think that that's the frustrating thing. That's the irritating thing. I think we'd all like to flick a switch and go back to where, you know, Thomas Tuchel was at his pomp at Chelsea. Just we want to look back to them. Want to flick a switch and go back to 05. Trust me, I'd love to go back to that time just for a short period to, to taste that Chelsea excellence but we're not there currently. It's 2023. It's about to be 2024. And I'd like to think that those people in positions of power are really thinking hard about why it has been a disaster over the past year. So those are my thoughts. As ever, let me know yours in the comments below. You can follow me across socials at Sun and Chelsea and I will see you again very soon. Oh, it's almost 2024, isn't it? I think I might have some stuff coming out. Podcast Network.